0: My <laughs> People passed through the Red Sea, as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all condemned for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Forty, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, to fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endureth the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God.
1: Our Gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter. (coughs) Jesus is speaking. He said, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret this present time? And this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I mentioned this briefly last week. Our daughter called us last Saturday evening. She lives about 15 miles northeast of Fairbanks, Alaska on property owned by friends. Now, to understand things a bit, you have to understand that in Alaska they have boroughs. Each borough provides services like water and sewage and police and fire protection in their borough, but it's only within certain limits. In some cities, they have professional firefighters, you know, the people that can show up and put out the fire while it's burning. Many others, they have volunteer fire brigades, which of course the joke is that they show up to stir the ashes and put out the the smoke. But in many areas of the state, including where Jesse lives, they simply don't have any sort of fire coverage. A couple days before Jesse called us, a fire broke out at a neighbor's home. It was about dawn, which there at this time of year means that it was about 2 in the morning. The neighbor's house was completely engulfed, so she called 911, and they said they'd send out a state trooper because there had been a spat of arson in the area. But what about fire vehicles? She asked. No, because you're too far out. The only protection for her home was a handful of friends who lived there, and what they could do with shovels and an old backhoe one owned. And so she had to begin putting all of her valuables in her vehicle because the fire just might spread to her house a couple hundred yards away. This is one of the places that burned. But thankfully, they'd had a lot of rain recently and the fire died out. But her neighbor's body was discovered in his home and the arson investigation is underway. We've all heard stories, you know, of the wildfires that get started in the drought-ridden pines of the West. And they have those firefighters that come flying in. And we've all heard of the homes that have been destroyed by arson in Parkersburg. And usually somebody sees them burning and sends the police, over, police and fire over. But I must admit that I, I had never thought about living in a place where someone could start a fire, destroy a house, and nobody have access to quality fire equipment, not even a brush truck, to fight the fire with. I think Jesse's friends, the ones who own the backhoe, they're going to start building a fire break around the homes. They'll survive because they're in Alaska. And remember, the people who settle in Alaska are those who thought that West Virginia's mountains were too soft a place to live, with too many neighbors around, so they moved up there. They'll handle the situation by themselves, and lord protect that poor arsonist if he ever gets caught setting a fire in the bible you know there's a lot of imagery and discussion of fire in genesis 19 when god destroyed sodom and gomorrah god sent burning sulfur onto the cities but he rescued abraham's nephew lot from sodom first Moses encountered God for the first time when he sees a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. The bush burns and keeps on burning. It doesn't turn into ashes. God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. And later in Exodus 13, as the Israelites make their escape and leave Egypt, God leads them as a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Samson Later, was in a feud with the Philistines, so he caught foxes, tied a lit torch to their tails, and let them loosen the Philistines' wheat fields, which were ready for harvest. And the destruction really weakened the Philistines. Later, captured, his arms were bound with two new ropes. And at a critical moment, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and the ropes, the Bible says, became as charred flax, apparently burnt, And Samson broke free and attacked the Philistines with devastating effect. Elijah has the battle of the gods against the priests of Baal and Asherah on top of Mount Carmel. God sends fire from heaven to burn up Elijah's sacrifice, proving that God is real. And Baal and Asherah were not. Daniel's three friends were cast into the fiery furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar, but they were unharmed. In fact, the king saw a fourth man walking in the furnace with the three friends. And at the temple of God, the sacrifices, they were conducted by burning the animals. Later in the book of Acts, you know the spirit arrives upon the disciples like individual tongues of fire settling on their heads. And so throughout the Bible, whenever fire is mentioned in the Bible, it is as a symbol that God is present. And additionally, evil is consumed by fire, but good is not harmed. In our Old Testament reading from Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah the prophet contrasts straw and grain. Grain, of course, is the good food that we find in wheat and related grasses. Straw isn't edible. In fact, it's been used around the world as cooking fuel. The grain is eaten, but the straw is burned up. The fire that burns up straw destroys the the straw, but it gives us heat. The grain, though, is what we eat to keep us alive. In this passage, God asks, Isn't my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks rocks to pieces? For the words from God, they have an energy that's like fire. Listening to the words of God destroys the evil and the sin in our lives. But just like fire can be painful to the touch, the words of God can be painful to us. But you know, after the fire passes, after the, the waste and the evil, the sin, it's gone and only the good remains. And then we feel good. More than anything else, We need to apply the words of God to our lives to help us burn out the sin in our lives, the troublesome habits, the evil that causes us troubles every day, the straw in our lives. Like a hammer breaking stones, we have boulders of sin in our lives. Consider the sins that many people are proud of. The man told me, I just speak bluntly, that's who I am. And we've all known men and women who speak bluntly, a bit rudely maybe. They're proud of it. They've chosen to make their bluntness and their rudeness part of their identity. But you know, those who speak bluntly often make enemies unnecessarily. If they took the time to speak gently, they would accomplish their purposes and make friends. In Proverbs 15:1. God says, "A gentle answer turns away wrath, and a harsh word, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And a bit later, in verse four of the same chapter, God tells us, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. I want you to consider the book of Proverbs. This is a collection of the words of God, that can burn up much useless straw in our lives and allow us to find the grain that gives us life. Luke reports that Jesus was speaking to a large crowd in Jerusalem in chapter 12 of his gospel and, he, and Jesus said, I've come to bring fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. And at first glance, you know, this seems so out of character for Jesus. Isn't Jesus the mild, gentle man who wants us to love one another all the time? Who wants peace on earth? Well, yes, but when you're trying to harvest souls in the field that is the earth, you can't get to the good stuff until you burn away the straw, which is the evil and the ignorance, the stupid ideas, the ideas that the world has accepted as the way to become strong in this world. How many people do you know who tell you that they are masters of revenge? That they are peaceful people until you mess with them and then they punch back hard. How many people do you know who are more concerned with the damage that they can do to other people than helping their enemies become friends? How many people do you know who brag about all sorts of ways that they've gotten back at other people? This is the straw that Jesus has come to burn up when he brings the Holy Spirit of God onto the earth. Jesus then takes a sentence to step aside and speak of his personal future. He says, but I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I'm under until it's completed. Jesus, the Son of God who can direct all the power of God to create and destroy, he tells us that he is constrained. He's held down until his baptism has happened to him. But what's he talking about? He was already baptized at the Jordan River by John the Baptist. So what baptism is Jesus talking about? He appears to be speaking about his up-and-coming crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Jesus was limited in what he could say and do and till after he went to the cross and died and was resurrected. For after his resurrection, he was no longer in an ordinary human body, but in his glorious resurrected body. He was no longer forced to act the role of an ordinary human teacher, but would fully step into his role as the Son of God with all the authority and majesty that that gives. After his resurrection, unlike before, There was no need to worry about driving away the crowds by speaking too strongly about who he is. For after the resurrection, it was obvious to all who knew him that something wonderful had happened, that God had stepped into the world, that the evil of the Pharisees and such had been burnt away, leaving us with the God-man who said, of bread made from grain, that this is my body, which is given for you, the grain turned into Jesus. This is what Jesus meant when he said he had a baptism to undergo and was being held down until it was completed. So he continued teaching the crowd that day, and his next words were ominous. They foretold arguments and fights and even wars in the future. They told us that the fight by good against evil was beginning. The counterattack was beginning. It would begin soon and create division around the world to this very day and beyond. Jesus said, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, he said, there'll be five and one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against 3 they There'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-laws against daughter-in-laws, and daughter-in-laws against the mother-in-laws. And you know, we see this division in our families and our clans and our communities. For some in the family accept that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life while others in the family believe that the ways of the world are the best ways. Avoiding church, spending money on things rather than on helping other people, getting even with people rather than loving people enough to lead them to an eternal life with Jesus, teaching their children soccer and football and dance rather than reading the words of God to them, and spending time with addictive chemicals rather than helping other people. We all have people in our families and our extended families who have chosen the ways of the world. Make no mistake, when Jesus came to earth, he intentionally left this world with a war to be fought in every home and every family, around every dining room table. What was the way to live better? Follow the teachings of Jesus or follow the ideas of the world? Every person who hears the words of God joins one of two great armies. One army is focused upon itself. That army is led by the forces of evil who make victims of their soldiers by addicting people to chemicals or to anger or hatred, to getting even, to revenge, to trouble in this life. The members of this army say that they just want the freedom to be happy, but then... They are led by their ideas and the ideas of the world down a road that leads to constant anxiety, to fear, to heartbreak, to hangovers, and to an early death. The other army, the army that's following Jesus, is led by the wisest leader in the universe, led by the wisest teachings ever known, and walks down a path that leads to peace and security, accomplishments, reward, and joy. Jesus tells us that there will be trials and tests along the way. It will not be easy. But at the end, the final reward is an eternal life living protected by God. And so even Jesus was frustrated with the crowd that was listening to Him and their inability to see what was happening in the world around Him. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. And then he says, you're hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret the present time? And you know, we can say that to so many people today. My friends, we're in a war that most people don't even know is being fought. Most people are as ignorant of this war as children playing in a park are unaware of the war that's going on between Russia and Ukraine. What is our war? We're at war over whether people will listen to the words of God that will burn up evil and sin in our lives and our world, or whether people will listen to the words of those who are trying to control our lives, that they might become wealthy, powerful, and secure in our homes. You know, the enemy is not not a tightly organized cult. They're just just a group of people (coughs) who don't understand God yet. They don't understand the love of God. And so they work to control themselves and other people. There are so many people like this the war we're in is about how to live. It's a war about what is good and right. It's a war about following Jesus into a better life with joy and peace or following our selfish wants and uh, following our selfish wants and our desires until they destroy us and leave us damaged and depressed and dying. War our war is fought with God's words, our love. It's not fought with physical weapons. We're sneakier than that. We fight the war by being nice to our enemies. Which side of the war are you on? Each person has to make a choice. Unfortunately, the evil side wins when we try to stay neutral, to not get involved, when we think that we can avoid actively working for one side or the other, just worry about ourselves but you see we each influence people in this world some more and some less we influence our children and our spouses greatly even our parents but we also influence the man at dollar general the checker at kroger's the men and the women we work with our facebook friends the servers at the restaurants our nurses, our doctors, our receptionists. Each time we have contact with someone, we have an opportunity to influence the people around us and fight for the, the warfare. And you know, all those people that we talk to, there's also people watching us, watching them and talking with them. Will we live up to the expectations of the great cloud of witnesses that the writer of Hebrews spoke of? the people who went before us? Or will we disappoint them because we were more interested in something of the world? We were in a hurry. We had our mind on trivial things that we thought were so important at the time and we did not speak God's words when we had the chance and change a soul. Which side do you recruit for? Do you speak of Jesus or do you speak of material things? For the fire continues to burn against sin and evil wherever Jesus is spoken of. But be sure that when you speak of Jesus, you are speaking as Jesus, the eternal word of God, would have you speak. Learn what Jesus has said by reading the Gospels. Learn the meaning of these words by reading the rest of the New Testament. Learn the background for Jesus' ministry by reading the Old Testament. And through it all, learn what God wants for you and me and our children and grandchildren. As our children and grandchildren go back to school this week, you may absolutely agree with what they're being taught by their teachers and their textbooks and their friends, because there are many members of Jesus' army in the schools. Several of you are part of that army in the schools. But there are also members of the other army in the schools, And so I suggest that the best way to secure the futures of your children is to get in habits like many of my friends have over the years. First, I know that most of you will insist that your children have a good nutritious breakfast in the morning instead of candy, right? Help them with a spiritual breakfast. Take two minutes every morning to read a verse or two from the Bible with them and talk about it. The book of Proverbs is a good place to start because it's very short verses. Then take a moment to pray for your kids to be protected from evil and to learn something good about God today. And second, when they arrive back at home, once again take time to pray and thank God for a safe day, to ask your children about what they've learned about God or your grandchildren if you take care of them, And perhaps even read another verse or two with them, maybe from the Gospel of Mark. Now why would you do this? Because, you see, an army does not send soldiers out to fight without weapons. And in chapter 6 of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So send your children out into the world armed and ready. And make sure they come to church every Sunday for more teachings about what is right and what is wrong and how to live in a world that's filled with straw that Jesus is trying to burn up. Feed them the grain that gives life, the Word of God.